I'm like people person. Like I talk to anyone. I don't really care who you are, like what color you are, or like what you have. Like you got that big smile. Yeah, I just <laughs> she said. I just I just like talking to people, man. Yeah. Charles Dumay's story is a tale of such incredible hardship, bravery, and willpower. It could be a Hollywood movie. And life over there was pretty difficult. The only water that was there was the seawater. Chance's childhood memories include running away from malicious soldiers who were intent on killing his people and seeing dead bodies lying out in the open. She was carrying me on her back, so it's like she took a bullet from me. He was split from his family in the Congo at the age of nine and still hasn't seen them since. Moving across Africa and staying in a refugee camp as a child, all for the opportunity to move to Australia. But his problems were far from over when he finally did make it to our shores. I was like, Mom, you know I'm harmless. Like, what will happen? And then I start telling her this story. Soon finding himself homeless, sleeping rough, and still somehow putting himself all the way through school and working himself nearly to death so he could send money back to the Congo to save his parents. Imagination is important because when you have that vision, that's when you can actually see the values that you have in the world. Chance is one of a kind, and the craziest part is this 21-year-old story is only just beginning. Welcome to Young Blood, a podcast about young men's health, sponsored by the Freemasons Foundation Centre for Men's Health. My name's Callum McPherson, I'm a journalist, and this is our mission to talk about the stuff that matters and isn't talked about enough. Before we get into it, I'm going to take 15 seconds to let you know we are looking to find sponsors who are keen for the opportunity to be part of the show and welcome any ideas from those who are interested on how we might be able to work together. So please hit us up via email, youngbloodpodcast at hotmail.com. Just uh, tell me about where you're from. I'm from Congo, uh, Republic Democratic of the Congo. Just tell us a bit about that place because a lot of people aren't going to know anything about the that, Congo. That's actually true. Um, well, the Congo is actually one of the ninth richest country in the world, resources-wise. I had parents there as well who I could look up to when things used to go wrong. I went through so much over there with wars and stuff like that. We were going from places to places. One of my auntie actually got shot. She she got shot when we were running away trying to find a safe place to stay. Yeah, she didn't stop, but we keep going. Was she killed? No, she wasn't killed because she was shot in the leg. She's still alive, I believe, and um, she does live in the Congo. I had to talk to her now and then because when she was shot, um, we were together actually. She was carrying me on her back. Yeah, so it's like she took a bullet for me. What's your memory of that time when you were running away? Is that still very clear in your mind? Oh, well, yeah, it's still very clear because I was, how old was I? I was like six years old at that time. And we had to leave the house because there was a war between the Houthi and Tutus. They're two different tribes that don't really associate with each other. Therefore, we had to leave because they were looking for kids like if you're a male you're a kid they'll come into your house take you get you killed or cut you like chop you in half and stuff like that and um one of the biggest fear within my parents was like losing the kids that they heard at that time i was the fourth because i'm the fourth born and i was the youngest so um we had to one away and where we went we end up it was like in this village it was bush it was like it's like a lot of trees 
we were just there, no food, nothing. And my auntie got shot because she was carrying me. So when she was running, she got shot in the leg and she couldn't let go. She had to continue running and I was still on, on her bike. So that's that's like how much of a love that I saw that she had toward me. Yeah. And who were you running from that day? Um, so the walls, the walls, that was the Houthi and the Tutus. That that's what we were running from. And um it was basically like because the country's corruption corrupted. So um we were running away from the war. <laughs> yeah. And did you see lots of violence at that time in your life? Yeah, well, at that time when we left, there was a lot because basically everyone within the local where I was staying at that, that small town where I, was, where I was born, everyone, they were trying to run away from the wall. It's it's rather you stay there, you get killed or just leave because in the Congo, it's like during the wars, that's when like a lot of women get uh, sexually abused and and like their men's can't do anything, you know what I'm saying? Cause, cause of fear, guns and stuff like that. And for them to protect their families, they have to run away. And then when the time, the time is like, when the time is safe, they can always go back. Yeah. So do you remember the way you used to feel when you were between sort of six and, and nine with all that violence around you? Were you living in fear? It was traumatizing, uh, even like until now, every time when I think of those moments, I still, I still feel like I'm traumatized because it's like, you imagine you have everything, like your family has everything and then kids of war and like people getting killed, watching, running and seeing bodies just like laying on the floor, dead bodies at the age of six. How would I feel like, how would you feel like? So it was very traumatizing for myself, but at the same time, it's like, we had to do what we had to do. Like my parents, they had to do what they had to do for us to survive. So when there's walls, like in places like the Congo, for example, it's about you and your family. Yeah. Whoever stay behind, they stay behind. Just doing everything you could to survive. Yeah, yeah, but I didn't do most of the things because my dad, my auntie, my mother they were all there and my brothers, my oldest brother and my older sister, my two older sisters were there as well. They were young at the time as well. So um, my parents actually had a lot to carry. So how many kids all up? So we were, at that time, there was only like the four of us. Um, yeah, during the time of wars, like in 2000, that was like around, I think, 2001, 2002-ish, 2003, there was only the four of us, but now there's like 12 of us, man. It's, <laughs> you multiply. <laughs> yeah, bro, yeah. Uh, so it came to the time where you had to leave and your parents made that decision that you had to get away or what, what happened? Tell us about trying to leave the Congo. Well, the way it actually happened was by chance. I have my uncle here, who was planning to sponsor my oldest brother and his name is Pole. And then they were doing everything and whatever. And like, it was a time where they were actually doing shopping, like clothes shopping and et cetera. And et cetera. At the last minute, 
dad was like, okay, chance, police not going, you're going. So there was only room for one of you to go? Yes. Yeah, there was only room for one of us. And your parents were going to stay in the Congo? Yes. So I end up like going, going with, with my uncle's wife, and, which was a struggle. We end up into a refugee camp. And so how did you get to Australia? Well, um, I was in a refugee camp for quite some time and life over there was pretty difficult. The only water that was there was the seawater, which was like. So you were drinking that? Green water, man. <laughs> yeah, it's did you like, drink that at all? I did. There was a, there's a point in time where we had to we had to drink that water because there's no other water. But it just makes you more dehydrated, of course. Yeah, yeah. There's no other water, so <laughs> it's like it's about surviving. See, um, there was a point in time where we had to drink the water, and then we end up to Kenya, and then we stayed in Kenya for quite some. How time, long so. were you at that camp in Uganda for? We were there for like I think five months. Drinking seawater. Yeah, bro. It was pretty it was pretty tough. What did that do to you drinking like, the seawater? Do you remember? Did well, it make you sick? If you care so much about dirty things, they'll make you sick if you think about it. But if you don't, then they don't gonna make you sick. So I was fine I was actually fine at that time until like when we moved to Kenya. That was when life was a bit better. We stayed there for quite some time. Yeah. When you like, went to Kenya were you in another camp? Um no, over there we were not actually in a camp. Um, we lived at a friend, friend, friend's place. So we stayed at my uncle's friend's place. So we're there for quite some time, for like I think four years, I believe. Because when I leave the Congo, when I left the Congo, I said, I just thought it was gonna be like a quick class process, you know? Um, oh, I was gonna get to Australia like straight up. Yeah, yeah. Which, yeah, but it wasn't until like five years later. No, man, it was. Until like six years later, bro. Wow. Yeah. Okay, so when did you go from the um from Kenya? Uh when did I left Kenya? Yeah. Did you go no, from to Kenya to Australia? Yes. Uh, right. Yes. Um it was around two thousand two thousand twelve, I believe. Uh we left Kenya and then came to Australia. On a plane? Yeah, it was on a plane. I had a I had um a higher expectation of the country, Australia. By that time, had you not seen your family for that all that no, time? No, even though you were still in Africa. No, I didn't see my biological family for that time. Any contact with them? Like, no, no, no. Yeah, you couldn't contact them through your auntie. It was, nah, cause I didn't have a phone, and I was still. I believe at that time we didn't have a really good relationship as well. See, it's like I lost contact, especially with my mom. Um. My dad was the last person that I saw when I left and um, for like five years, six years, I didn't speak to mom or dad or any of my brothers or my sisters until like later on. What impact did that have on you? How hard was that going from them being the only people in your lives there for you and then not seeing them or, or talking to them? Because I mean, these days when someone goes away, we can still talk to them on the phone all the time or something, but just going to no contact when you were so young. Yeah, oh, well, like, one of the biggest thing was, was, like, stress, man. That was when, like, stress started kicking in. Like, when I was missing the moment when we used to, like, stay outside, like, let and, like, count stars with my siblings, was, like, the breaking, the breaking, um, 
moment for me. Like, um, I was crying day and night, but nobody could notice it because I tried to hide it, hide it in. And I remember there was even a time in Kenya where um, I actually had to run away um, from my uncle's, uh, my uncle's wife's house. So I actually ran away and tried and I found a way to get back home because I was disconnected. Because you're just in so much pain. Yes, and uh, for so many years, isn't able to talk to my family as well. So, so how far did you get when you ran away? Well, I ran away and I start walking my way out. And it's like Kenya, man. It's like it's like there's like three different countries in between the Congo and Kenya. It's a long way to go. Yeah, so that's a long way to go, man. <laughs> I, I mean, I could have made it, it make it if I went. Long walk. Yeah, you see, um, how, well, it, it took a long time, but at the same time I ended up going back. I was like, there's no way I'm going to make it, man. Yeah. Because there was no water. I had no water, no money, nothing. Like, How long did you go for before you turned around? I, it was a day. <laughs> you went for a whole day? Yeah, it was for the whole day, man. I ended up coming back around uh, 12 a.m. Did you get in trouble when you got back? Well, I was in trouble. But I wasn't staying with my uncle's wife at the time. Mm. Yeah. So I went to stay to a friend a friend's house for quite some times and then end up going back. Okay. Yeah. And so spending this huge amount of time when you were expecting to go to Australia pretty much straight away, and then you have six year limbo period when you can't contact anyone. That must have been just bizarre, like waiting waiting to make this big journey that you'd planned in your head but not being able to actually get started on it you just feel like you were caught between worlds the first thing first i felt like i was a slave i felt like i was i was covered within this place where i didn't even know who i was at some point because of that detachment from your family yeah. and and everything and because you weren't able to have any freedom you couldn't choose what you wanted to do at all no no so that was like the beginning of uh breakdown of um my childhood so being disconnected feeling like well because i thought um if i got to that and uh we're gonna get there straight up and that was what my family thought too which was like it turns out it was it was gonna be like a long a long process and i just felt like I really didn't deserve to be here. I wanted to go back. And I used to say to myself, I wanted to talk to my old brother's wife about it. My uncle, we call each other brothers because uh, our mom, our moms shared the same mother and dad. Um, I wanted to talk to the wife about it, but I had that fear in me. So I kept it all to myself. You wanted to talk to her and say like, why am I the one who's going? And I wanted to tell her that I want to go back home. Yeah. I want to go back to my parents. But you never, you never had that conversation. I, I know, cause I had that fear in me. Cause one of the things is like when you are from a refugee background, you come from from a family where they don't know they don't know anything about mental health, nothing, nothing about stress, totally nothing. Because there's it, just so much trauma and so much difficulty there that it's just doing everything you can to survive and 
people don't take the or have the chance to actually think about all the ways that they're being affected do you think or well i think it's because it's because of um the education there is totally different compared to here and also over there they're more of oh we they care so much of what happens today not tomorrow because today is not guaranteed yes yeah so there's no like services that will actually be able to help people or support people mentally they just they just care about things that happens today because you know tomorrow is not promised just the way you said it it's and and for them that's how it rolls like your mom can just be like hey are you okay and sometimes you don't even get that for years and and like being separated from them being away for that long period of time is like who am i gonna go to and t- say like hey i'm not okay i'm not okay about these things because no one is gonna listen to me yeah you must have felt so alone then yeah yeah i did feel lonely because i was i was away man like there was times where i was like start starting to think about like yo i don't really i don't think i deserve to be in this world very like yeah so the, it changed the way that you viewed yourself like you devalued yourself did you start to think of yourself as sort of being worthless and have those kinds of feelings or well at that time i didn't because like within like africans it's like when when you're away from basically families what you have over there and i think that's that's everywhere that's within the society everywhere you go families the first thing that comes up online like online you know and um i felt like my mom wasn't there my brothers were in there my sister wasn't there and so there's no one for me to talk to so it was just me i mean the relationship between my uncle's wife wasn't that strong so i couldn't went to her and like be like hey i'm stressed yeah because she probably has her own problems as well yeah so i had to deal with my own so you just carried that and did it did it feel like a weight well it did because i'm talking about i'm talking about about this when i was like 80 years old 80 years old 90 years old say i was very young at the time to actually be aware for my parents and also be aware for my whole biological family i felt like psychologically i was affected within the environment where i was in all certain i was like in this environment where it was just me you know yeah and getting out of it was beyond your control you couldn't do anything i couldn't i couldn't do anything but you held on and you got to australia yeah um i did i did hold on until when we arrived to australia which was, was something else again so what did you think just before you got here what were you expecting and where were you at in your that point in your life I had a higher expectation of the place, to be honest. I was like, yeah, finally I'm here. I can get a phone. I can talk to my parents. I can like get in touch with them, like my my whole family. But it was, it was totally different from what I was expecting, you know, because the system itself, seeing people on the street, that kind of changed my perspective. So what, what happened when you got here? When I got here, that was when... Um, met my uncle and like my my other cousin who lives here as well and 
and I just thought like things were gonna be fine since I'm close to them and also the vibe as well was gonna change but things was way harder here than actually in Africa. In what way? It, why? Because it was a whole new environment and I had to make sure I try to fit in within the society here. So you were yeah. living with those guys? Yeah. You moved in with them? Yeah. yeah. Okay. I, I wanted to like have that freedom to do things that I want to do, which I didn't have. And it was just totally different, man. And so you didn't have that freedom because you didn't have the money. You were too young. What were the things that were holding you back? I think it was because I was too young because I had feeling that my cousins had that fear that um if they let me out on the street, then I'm going to turn out to be someone else. And one of the reasons why I came, why they actually sponsored me is because they thought that I was the hope for my family. I stayed inside. What I was doing was from school to home, from home to school, from school to home to church, and basically repeating the same thing over and over again, Yeah, which was cool, but at the same time, it was like, I don't have a childhood. Yeah when I'm doing school home, from home to, it's to like, school. It's like a job. You're not having any of those experiences. No. Yeah. Uh, so I wasn't having anything. So um, the only friend that I could have is a friend from school. And the only time that we have together is the time when we are school. So, And that's because you weren't allowed to see people outside of school. Yes. So I felt like, there was something inside me that was dying. And that was when I started, do, I was, I started doing things out of hand. I was like, man. How, I, how old are you at this point? I was 14. Yeah. I was, I was 14 at that time. Because when I arrived in Australia was when I was turning, I believe, 14. Uh-huh. I was turning 15. So where you went so. straight into year nine? No, no, no. So I went to secondary school of English. I'd like secondary school of English to do an English, English course. So I did an English course for like um, for like a year, I think. And then from there, I went to high school. Yeah. And it was uh, just like when I was there, I wanted to like go to high school. And I thought things would change as soon as I go into high school, which didn't. Yeah. yeah. So this whole time, you just wanted some freedom. I did want freedom. I did want some freedom. Wanted to with, live your own life. sort of. Yeah. Because yeah. I wanted to like be able to have friends outside home. Therefore, I could be able to learn more stuff about, about the culture and stuff like that, but I wasn't exposed to Yeah, it. you wanted to find a place in yeah. the world somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. But I didn't have that chance, so I feel like I was, lonely. I was lonely. Because even if I talk to someone about it, they're going to be like, huh? or if I go talk to my, my cousin about it, they're not going to do anything about it. They just... It's just because like this, they were so afraid of how this society is and also how the social media portrays what happens as well. And them. what sort of things are you talking about? Um, what are they afraid of? Well, so there's like one of the biggest uh, thing here in like Australia is like, is the fact that when you have a lot of people, a lot of young people coming from like refugee backgrounds, they, they get tra- uh, trapped into like music and stuff like that, like American music and all that, like raps and stuff like that. And then 
as soon as they start doing they, they start listening to a lot of those kind of songs and stuff and then they want to be part they want to fit in within the the rap culture you know mm-hmm. uh the music culture and when you start fit try to fit in within the music culture you start doing doing drags and stuff like that the and violence and stuff and violence yeah that all, all that come in together mm-hmm. and my cousins they thought we're gonna, I was gonna turn up like that too so they had to find a way to so they thought that the way to stop that was to not let you outside so, yeah basically <laughs> that was that was, that was what they thought but that would have just made you angrier and, yeah. and more looking for some sort of family yeah. or some sort of connection because I was like there's a time when I was saying to myself as soon as I turn 18 that's it I'm leaving mm. as soon as I, t- I turn 18 that's it I'm leaving but it's it's just like the guys are standing out there and be like, "Hey guys, I want my own freedom." Yeah, it's very hard. It was really hard because like, who am I? Because when you're old, within like my communities, like you have to, as a young, I have to pay my respect to the oldies. So I had to, I had to just go with the flow, with the vibe, you know. Um, do as I told to do and carry on with what they want me to do you know um did that continue through high school where it was just going to school and going home yeah well that continued throughout high school as well until when i got kicked out yeah so did you start started acting out and stuff during this time well during the time since when i moved here to australia it's like i was separated I was separate from my family, therefore I, I was losing something first of all, something that was big to me, uh, no connection. And then on top of that, I didn't have freedom to do things that I wanted to do. Yeah, so You're just caged. So, so you know, like the biggest fear that is out there, it's no losing someone physically. Oh, like it's not me dying. It's not me me dying physically, but it was something that was dying inside me. Yeah, was worse because it was killing me like slowly, like step, your, your spirit, like yeah, your soul, yeah, like step by step, like deep deep down, I was just dying. You know what I'm saying? Mm. So I was I was lo- losing my sense of humor. I was like, who am I? Mm. I didn't. There was time when I was stressing. I was like, I don't even know who am I. You know? Yeah, yeah. Throughout the whole high school, I go to school, go home. It's just because because one of the thing that um. The reason why my, my my cousin sponsored me is because he wanted me to go to study. And really, I wanted to make them proud and so, so I could continue school. Yeah, because I mean, you're the one that had been sent over there. Everyone else was still there. So yeah. you had felt that weight of expectation to go and yeah. make something happen. That's facts. That's facts. That's, that, was the, that's, that was the whole reason. And so when you were um, in high school, did things improve at all? Did you make some friends? Or how did things start to change for you? Well, things actually started to change because I didn't make make a lot of friends. I'm like people person. Like I talk to anyone. I don't really care who you are, like what color you are, yeah. or like what you have. Like you got that big smile. Yeah, I just <laughs> she said. <laughs> I just I just like talking to people, man. Yeah, I became friends with people people of different circle. I was friends with people who were doing drags people who were good people like like you know how in high school you have like different circle friends like mm, they have yeah. different characters sort of floated between so, yeah you can, like, yeah fit in with anyone yeah so 
that was me. But what what was there was like I start to see where they were coming from. Where my uncle was coming from because I start getting influenced by by that group of friends that used to like run away from school, like you know, mm. like pretend to go to school but they're not going to school. Yeah. And then if you were hanging out with them, then that's what you were doing too. Yeah. Yeah, so I start I start hanging out with them and I start doing the same thing. So I was I was um I pretend I was going to school, but I don't end up going to school or go do other stuff. Like I did that for like a couple of weeks. Uh. And then I realized later on I was just thinking to myself, like, what what am I doing? You just wanted to fit in somewhere probably. Yeah. Yeah. Um and then I end up cutting the friends of mine, but they were still friends of mine, but no close friends. But I just like start spending time by myself most of the time in high school. Okay. Yeah. Like, were you getting in any trouble or anything? So they used to fight a lot. Like a lot of my friends used to fight a lot. And um, I'm one of those people that I don't really like fighting. But if like someone starts on me or like sat on my mates, then I will jump in as well. There was... There was a time actually in high school where I, ha- I had to fight after high sc- after school, and I was jumped to like by like eight people. So what you thought you were gonna fight one guy? I was I, well, um, wasn't planned. So I was just finishing school, going home, and then a whole bunch of like guys coming with like sticks and then just jumped me, and and my dad always said this thing like. You know you're a man never fear anybody so you just you just gotta stand there for yourself so i stood up there grab a stick myself and i was like yep i'll do what i had to do i left that place I was bleeding man not much you can do against eight guys no no and then um few few police actually came and they were like you want to press charges i was like nah there's no point of me did you get charges. beat up pretty bad well <laughs> i go beat up my nose was <laughs> was hanging on the side bro <laughs> Yeah, so that was a bit harsh. Um, what was all that about? Was it just random? No, 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 no. It was, uh, it was about, there was this guy in high school who had a friend, um, they went to the same primary. And and these guys, they had beef since, since like, since, since they started school together, since year three to like year 12. One of them was my friend. And then he wanted to fight the other guy. And I was like, yo, there's no point in you guys fighting. I don't want to be part of it. Why don't you guys be good friends or something? Or just like sort the things out instead of fighting. And because I said that, the other guy go upset. That was when he went to like grab, bring all these people and they wanted to jump me. So I was like, okay, cool. I'm going to show you then. Then um, <laughs> I did something stupid and end up punching the guy as well. Like after lunch or after recess, and he was like, you know, my dad is a soldier. I'm gonna get him down here. I was like, I'm not really scared of your dad. I mean, I don't like fighting like that, but like the guy was in my space, you know. Um, and then I told him, if you guys don't sort your things out to that friend of mine and the other guy, the other guy, and I was like, you, the two of you have to fight me then, because um, I used to be one of those tough, tough kids in school. And then they end up sorting the stuff up. I mean, I didn't get in trouble at school because it wasn't really my fault because I explained it to the teacher and the principal. And um, yeah, so it was okay. And so you became a, a tough guy because it was a, a defense 
after all the pain you've been through? Well, yeah, basically, I'm the type of person that I'm against bullies. And, like, there was a lot of bullings that was going there um, at the school that I went to, which I can't say the name of it. <laughs> and the bullying was between people from different backgrounds. And I was just so against it. So just racial yeah. attacks and stuff? Yeah, 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 yeah. I was just so against it. So, so you experienced people I, um, with extreme prejudice towards yourself for being African? Yeah, a lot, a lot of it, a lot of it, and um, a lot of it, a lot of time when you experience that, it kind of hit you up, hit you, hit you hard as well, yeah. down too. Yeah. What sort of stuff did you um, experience um, in the form of like racial attacks and things? Well, um, the first thing first is color, the color plays part, you know, um, and the fact that I used to stand up for like a lot of people. Who who are different as well? Cause when you're you're different, like English is like your fifth language. Like say, or you can't really speak English clear compared to someone who was born here. And also like just like other people as well. Cause it wasn't just like within the Australians. Those other Africans who were who are bullies against other Africans, and I just didn't like that. I disagreed with it. Because I remember this one friend of mine from high school, he was really skinny, taller. And um, my first week of school, uh, my local was close to him and he was getting bullied at the local. And then that kind of pissed me off. So I had to tell the guy that was bullying him to stop it or I'm just going to knock him out. So you've always stood up for people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've always stood up for people. And so um, I had to stand up and actually... Uh, make that difference. Otherwise, if I didn't say something, then nothing could have been done. And one of the other things was like the N-words as well, you know? Like, a lot of people were calling people that. And like, one of my mates in year 12 was very frustrated. One one of our classmates called him by the N-word. And like, because of that, the whole, like, every black person within that high school, they were frustrated. And they wanted to fight. The guy, yeah, and I was like, "There's no point, no point of you guys fighting these guys, because it's like if they say it into music, why should you try to stop them from saying it? They're saying they're saying it through music, or they're not saying it to you, you know." I had to to stood stood up and just like tell my friend, like, "You guys just need to calm down and just let go of the things." It's just like you just need to tell the guy, "Hey, look, I don't like when you say this when I'm around." That's always, it's simple as that, you know? Was it being directed uh, at you in the in like an aggressive way on, on purpose? Did they mean to hurt you when they were using it a lot of the time or is it sort of just a careless thing? Well, there have been that times as well, like especially in the buses as well. Um, like imagine you're just wearing a suit. Something simple, right? Like you're just wearing a suit, very formal and then some random coming to your face calling you the n-words like why are you here why are you taking our jobs go back where you come from you know what i'm saying say so was pretty aggressive and um what that do to your heart when you hear people do that um i was <laughs> i was losing control you know i just wanted to react but at the same time i had to ignore it <laughs> i just 
I just mind my business. I pull my headphone in and carry on with my day. And the fun thing was the same stop where I got off, that was the same stop that that guy got off too. So <laughs> I was thinking of like doing something stupid, but I was just like, ah, let me just go. Cause at the end of the day, it's like the people who think so negative about other people are the people who don't have what you have or what other people have. Yeah, jealous of you. Yeah, yeah. basically. It's just, so I just like, I just carry on my life, bro. And in high school, it was the same thing. I just carry on with my life. So how how common was it that you'd have people coming up and calling you the N-word or making some sort of discriminatory remark to you or something like that? Was that like really on a regular basis? Um, I don't think it was on a regular basis. It happens. It happens sometimes. Um, sometimes, maybe within like, a month or sometime within like five months. It just depends where you find yourself or like the people that are around the area where you are. So that's how it used to happen. So, and it still happens until now, but it's like, it's more understanding. It's more understanding now because I'm, I'm just like, bro, at the end of the day, I'm just this one lonely African kid trying to live a better life. So if you can call me this, go ahead. Uh, that's that's how I'll carry on with it. Mm. Yeah. Tell me about getting kicked out of home. Getting kicked out of home. The way that happened was pretty intensive because just imagine, imagine you're finishing work uh, at like nine o'clock. You just like took time, like an hour away to just like chill for a bit and then Trying to find a way to get back at home. I was I was going at home, and then I got a phone call. Picked up the phone call. It's like, hey, hello. Um, and then the words that I heard is like, it's like you rather you rather come at home, stay at home, or stay where you are, or come and get your stuff and leave. Those are the words that I got. So you just finished work and you were just hanging out for a bit before going home? Yes. And who was the message from? From my uncle. Hmm. I was like, okay, what do you mean? They're like, yeah, that's what I meant. And I was like, okay. I just hang up the phone. I was like, let me rethink about this. So I I, I had to process the question. And I was like, wait, what do you mean I come home or leave? Because you were an hour late. Yes, because I was, I was, I was running late at home. And then I was, I was just like, okay, you know what? Fuck it, I'm gonna stay. Excuse my language, but I'm gonna stay out. I decided to stay on the street. That was that. That was that was the beginning of my life, bro. That was that was the beginning of the struggle. That was the beginning. That was that was the beginning, <laughs> man. That, that was how I saw. It. I saw like that was the beginning. I was because. The first thing first that popped into my mind when I was like given the option to go back and stay at home, not doing things, the first thing first that popped into my, my mind was my family. I was like, what about my family? Back at home, no, here, because over here, I, apart from them, I didn't have anyone else. I was like, I've lost my family. Losing them, losing the place where I was staying, it's not going to really impact me like that. I've lost the biggest thing that I ever had, which was family. 
I didn't have my mom's phone number or my daddy's phone number or brother or sisters. But at that time, had you still not talked to them? When I got to Australia, I spoke to them a few times, a mm. couple of times. Mm. Yeah. And, but it wasn't normal. It wasn't, it wasn't normal because I felt like I had, I had a fear. I couldn't talk to them the way I wanted to talk to them, you know? The relationship wasn't as strong, you know? Because you'd missed out on all that time. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I spoke to them a few times. And then when I was homeless, I didn't talk to them for like a long time because I was trying to figure life out, bro. Uh, so you didn't go home that night? I didn't. Slept at the bar stop. I was at the bar stop all the way until like, uh, I think it was around 5 a.m. in the morning. I was just there trying to, trying to, trying to live, live the life that I could. And then I end up, I end up in the, in the backyard, which was worse than and being on the street, cause I will work up in the morning. I will go to to school, go to the gym, shower at the gym, go to school. From school, go to the library, study, and then from there, start looking for a place to sleep. Yeah, it, was, it was tough. It was pretty. It was pretty tough, cause mama. Did they look for you? No, they didn't. But what I did was like I tried to call in to say, "Hey, hi, I'm." Um, I'm just calling to check up on you guys just to say that I'm okay. The words that I heard never come back here, my place. And I couldn't do anything, you know, because I called, I called in, they didn't call me. So I was like, okay, cool. I'm going to carry on all my life. So you were finding places to sleep rough and then going to school in the day. Yeah. I was. Did people know about it at school? No. Did you have any clothes with you or anything? Just the one uniform? Well, I only had school uni- okay, I had school uniform in my bag and I had my work uniform because I was coming from work that night. Those are the only clothes that I had on me. And they were the clothes that I was changing into most of the times. So you just changed between work and school clothes? Yeah, because <laughs> even if I was to buy clothes, where would I put them? No way. So you just had whatever you were wearing and then whatever you yeah. had in the bag? Yeah, that was what I heard, yeah. and that's that's how, how. How long, like that? I was like that for like few weeks, um, for for about four weeks, I'd say. And what kind of places were you sleeping? I was sleeping, <laughs> sleeping in a, in like basically a backyard, man. I was on the street, from the street to backyard to like a friend of mine's backyard, and it was it was crazy. It was it was freezing drink. The time that I was harmless was during winter. As I was harmless for quite a long time from throughout school. I'd say I was harmless. And no one knew. Nobody knew I was harmless physically and emotionally. I just I just I was just afraid of people judging me. Yeah. And I just felt like it's it's my it was my problem, you know. I had to carry on with it. The, the weight of that is just so unimaginable, you know, for people like me who come from a more privileged background to imagine going through that and still still having the drive to put yourself through school. Because, I mean, most people, if they're going to have to deal with that, they wouldn't be rocking up to school every day. You know, they would just sort of spiral downwards and give it up, give everything up. Yeah. So what, what kept you going at that time? What was your mindset? What was my mindset? It's never give up, man. I knew I came here to study and I had to accomplish what I came here for. And also school was like a getaway for me because 
Yeah, that was like the good time. Yeah, yeah, it was a good time that I don't have time to think about all the negative. But although I did have time to think about them, because I was depressed, I was I was going through depression and anxiety, and there's no one that I could talk to. Not and, and trauma. Yeah, not even friends. Not even my friends that do I be close to me. I couldn't tell them what I was going through. I carry on like it was pretty hard, man. Sometimes it's like when you finish school, that was when you start thinking of like, what am I gonna do tonight? Where am I gonna Where am I gonna sleep tonight? Yeah, and, and uh, no one else has anywhere near that level of pressure on them. No, one of the biggest thoughts that comes into mind is like when you are alone. When you are alone within this space. You are emotionally disconnected from the world, but you are connected to the land or the space that you are in. You can be walking down the street, there's cars driving past, but you cannot hear cars because you're just stressed. You feel you're, like you're not there. Yeah, you're not there. Yeah. So you're just depressed. and Like a ghost they, kind of thing. Yeah, they can hit you with a car and you feel like, oh, well, it happened. And that, that was my, my situation. There was a time where I went to stand in the middle of the road. I was like, yep, just want to get hit by a car. And someone have to pull over and actually pull me out of the, out of the road. And they're like, what are you doing? What do you think you're doing? And I was like, oh, sorry, I'm just overthinking. Yeah, so I was in the middle of the road, like the highway waiting to be hit. Um, and then from there, I just, just keep, I carry on with life. When you got pulled off the road that day, did you think, yeah, I want to live? Or what was your reaction? I didn't want to leave, man, to be honest. And I've told, I told a few of my friends as well, bro, I just feel like the world so is not hard. fair because if you're going through depression and your family is struggling, you don't have absolutely nothing. Yeah. Then what the point of living, you know? Cause it's like at the time when you're on that on that street, a lot of people are busy. They're sleeping. Some of them are at work. Uh, some of the, some of them are doing things for their families. And there's just you. There's just you on that street, and you're like, there's no point of living. The world is better without me. Just if the world lose this one person, which is me. What is it that they're gonna lose when they have other people that are doing all these other things? You know? So I just felt like the world would be better without me. Hopeless, yeah. Yeah, because I was hopeless. Yeah, that's right. But you kept going. But I keep going. That was the thing. Um, I keep going. And during year 12 was when I told one of my men, like at the very end of year 12, I was like, bro, I'm a homeless man. And how long have you been homeless at that point for? At that point, I was homeless for, I'll say for about 12 months. Yeah, I was homeless for about 12 months, man. I told my friends, like, bro, I'm stressed because they were concerned. Even my work, my co-workers were concerned as well because I used to work at Krispy Kreme at that time. I was like, man, I'm actually really stressed, bro. And I don't know what to do. <laughs> and then what was surprising was when I he was like, Oh, you could come stay at my place. I was like, Yeah, cool. Sure thing. Um I went to stay at his place was I don't think was 
the right environment for me. And I just thought the street was better, better than actually staying at his place. It was, which was very crowded. And it was, it's like a three, three bedroom house where they had like nine people living in the house. Uh. And I just couldn't. Uh, so I was in the backyard for a while. And then, um, that was when I started. I was like, I'm, I gotta have to do what I can to get myself off the street. So all that time, you spent a lot of it sleeping out in the open, like yeah. with the rain and yeah, uh, yeah. I was, how cold did it get out there? Can you describe that? It was, it was freezing, man. I don't know, cause it was raining as well most of the times. So it's like I had to deal with it with the whole thing. Like it was raining reason and i was just saying to myself well a lot of people have a lot of things but they don't really appreciate them yeah yeah i felt i used to work the, at the time that was the other thing because i worked at crispy cream i was working like a shift to two shift a week and the money that i used to get what i used to use it for was helping other people on the street because i felt like their problems were bigger than my problems and that was one of the things that motivated me to keep going too. Because I was like, what if I'm gonna be that one person that can be able to to support these people and actually come off the street? That was that was that was a thing that I felt like my heart was telling me and my mind was like, You're gonna be that one person. So don't give up on life yet. You still have a long way to go. Crazy uh, man. And then coming from that background you felt like if you were going to be able to get through it, it would give you the power to be able to understand people in a similar situation and help them out of it. Yeah, that was what I thought. Uh, because, because like one of the thing is is that within harmless harmless people, harmless people they they don't listen to other people. They only listen to each other. That's the thing. You can talk, you can sit there and talk to a harmless person. They'll pretend like they're listening to you, but they're not listening to you. The thing you're saying, they're coming from here to outside. Because they think you don't understand. No, you don't understand. Or like the social experiments that people do of like, oh, let me pretend to be harmless. No, you, you know, you're not going through anything. You are trying to understand what they go through, but you're not. If you it actually happen to you without you planning it, that's when you actually say like, yeah. Yeah, man, homelessness is like, it's a struggle and it's a big issue. It's a big problem, you know? When you were homeless, what was your view of the world? Like, how did you see everything around you? I just thought the world was so unfair, man, because to me, it didn't make any sense. A lot of people were making so much money than other people. And like, a lot of people on the street begging. That's what I pray for to not do stay on the street during, during the day and begging for money. I didn't want that. Cause I would see people going to work, stuff like that. And, and it was it was amazing. It was amazing to see people going to work. And then there was me that trying to figure life out. I'm like, one day I'm gonna start going to work. One day I'm gonna start doing this. I start imagining things. But at the same time, there's always those negative thoughts that always comes to your to your mind, you know? Of like you can't do it. Can't do this. Can't do that. One voice like, one voice must have been louder than the other though. Yeah. When you said 
that there was part of it that was don't give up, you know, never give up. And then another voice that said, you know, you can't do it. But the never give up voice, it must have been louder. Yeah. Because one of the things, like, when you're mentally, you're going through mental health, it's like you're not being yourself. You are going by the flesher. So your flesher is taking you whatever it wants to take you. Your flesher is controlling your mind, the environment, the weather, and everything. Something that is not normal. is normal to people, to you, is not normal. In a sense of like, there was sun. And and it was me, like, cause I was so stressed. I lost it. I lost. I lost a lot of weight. And it was just me. I was just going around. And there was sun. I was wearing my big jacket, and like wearing full on clothes. And I thought it was cold, cause I was freezing. I felt like I was getting sick. That was what depression was doing to me, and the mental health was wrong, cause I wasn't thinking straight. So. What do you think of the power of the, the mind and its ability to affect you physically? Well, I think we, uh, the, mind, the mind controls who you are like or, and who we are. But at the same time, it's like, it's, it's yourself as well. Because <laughs> if you're in control of your mind, then meaning you're in control of your, of your whole world, of your physical body and like your spiritual body as well. See, Within the time when I was harmless, when I was going through the thing of like, okay, I know I can't do it. I just want to die. I want to commit suicide. I, I, was, I was like, I wasn't being myself. I just felt like my brain was so tired of the thing that I was seeing and I wasn't able to process information. So I just want to do something very quick so I can just like, just go because the world Cause is it was so overloaded that yeah. it was just too much to bear yeah, so much negativity and I, what I was thinking was just negative trying to think positively but I couldn't it was just negative um, one of the things that I thought about was calling my mom um, I was looking from social media to social media trying to get in contact with my parents I ended up on Google that was how I found my old my oldest brother and then he passed my mom's number to me so I called mom straight up. I went to Optus because I had an ID. I had a, my L's at that time. So I went to, I got a plan, a phone plan. I didn't know what I was putting myself into. And I called my mom who spoke for like it was 15 hours. And then did that moment, that was when I came to life. What did, uh, she, what did she say to you? Uh, I told mom, I was... I just I couldn't talk because I was crying at the time when I heard her voice. She, I was like, "Mom, you know I'm harmless." I was like, what, what happened? And then I started telling her the story, and then she was she was crying in tears as well. She was like, "Oh, you own, you own your uncle an apology." I was like, "I don't think I do." He's what happened. So she she was like. She was like, you need to like find a way to get off the street because you are the only hope that we have. Because at that time, there was like 11, 11 kids in my family and I'm the black sheep. You know, when there's like a lot of white sheep there and there's only that black one that appears. What made you the black sheep? Because I'm here, man. I'm, I'm here, the one that has the opportunity that most of them don't have there. And when they say that you were the only hope, what do they mean by that? Um, 
they meant that they could see something in me. That's why I'm here. They, I'm the only one that can actually help my family to get out from their feet because they lost everything they ever had during the wars. Like basically everything they were left with just a land, just 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 a, just their place. Did they want you to help them to get to Australia, or did they want you to send money to them, or what were they? Money wise, man, is uh. because they were living in a different different place from where I was born, and they left their house over there because the house was breaking down. So they moved to a different state, a whole new state. And I had to send money for rent and stuff like that. But I explained it to them. I was like, Mom, Dad, look, I don't have a job like that. I'm working one shift and I'm still on the street. I don't know how I can help you guys. Because I cannot even help myself to start off with. And Mom was, she started giving me advice. She was like, remember, man, remember, remember where you come from, you know. Remember that your brothers, your sisters, they all look up to you. Like, and if you were to mess up over there, then they're not going to get anything. Then we're not going to be any. Pressure is just so overwhelming. Like, even in that moment when you're so desperate and you're pouring that out and all they're doing is putting it back onto you. Yeah, yeah. That was, that was, that was what was coming from my mom. Did they mom, tell you they love you? They do. Yeah, my mom, she has a mad love for me, man. Because um, what I did... One of the things that helped me out was my dad. My dad, my dad motivated me because my dad, it was like, he did engineering, so he built houses and stuff like that. He's like one of the strongest person that I've ever seen. He's got used to build a whole house, three bedroom houses within a week by himself. Just within a week, as I'm saying it. And he was telling me, he was like, son, because I told him that I wanted to commit suicide. Like, son, you need to you need to put your stuff together, man. Remember, if today anything happened to you, no one is gonna lose apart from us. You know, my my uncle is not gonna lose anybody. All the whole world is not gonna lose anybody, but to them, they're gonna lose me. And that was when like the whole um name kicked in. Or like, do you know why we even named you Shans in the first place? Like. Chance means opportunity. It's chance, by the way. Chance in French means opportunity. And the reason why we named you after that is because of what we had, but we lost everything during the war. Yeah, and then I just thought about it. And then at school, I was I was still in the 12th at that time. I was going from school to school, researching places to stay, homeless shelters and stuff like that. And that was when I ended up to hype housing. And um, um, I went to sleep at Vinny's, at the harmless shelter. I slept there for like two or three nights. And then I ended up at Youth 110. I lived there for until when I finished Youth 12. What were those places like? They were, it felt so good. It felt so good having a place to stay, staying under under the shelter. Having your own place, you can sleep on the bed, on the mattress, finally. The whole time you were homeless, did you not sleep in a bed or have a mattress? I didn't sleep on a mattress, man. At any point that whole time? No, I didn't. Just always on the ground or on a bench yeah. or something? Yeah, because like, it, felt, it felt so good sleeping on a mattress. I, I slept <laughs> next morning. I didn't even feel like going to school, man. 
Yeah, I think that would have been fair enough. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I didn't want to go to school. I slept, I slept, I slept really well. And and they had these services that I hope a lot of young people with stuff. And when I was there, when I was sleeping there, that was when I was like, okay, I got, I got a chance. I need to put my life together. I need to ask for more shift because I have a place to stay. I asked for more shift and then my mate from work was like, Chance, there must be something wrong with you because you are normally a positive guy when you come to workplace, but your energy just went down from 100 to zero. And then I had to, because I can't lie to, to anybody. I was just like, man, yeah, harmless, bro. I was going through homelessness for quite some times. And, and then the manager was like, they had to tell the manager, and the manager had to talk to me and I told her what was going on. And then she was like, well, why didn't you tell us earlier so we could do something to help you out? And I was just like, yeah, I was just so afraid to be judged, to be honest. You're afraid they were gonna fire you for that? No, they were gonna judge me. Yeah, they were gonna judge me, man. I just told her, yeah, I really didn't want my personal stuff to interfere with work as well. Pride. Yeah. So, uh, how did they react though? She, she was concerned mm. in a sense that she, she just told me like, yo, chance you see if anything goes wrong or if you want to leave work early because you want to get home, be early or just let us know. Cause I was, I was one of the best workers over there, um, in terms of like customer service and stuff like that. And and like do, do, doing me favors, like picking me up from from school to work, mm. was, was brilliant, you know. And that was when I was putting everything together. You said you want more shifts. Yeah, I told them that I wanted more shifts because at that time I had contact with my parents, and they needed support, you know, financially. See, so after you had that conversation with your parents, did you hang up the phone and straight away think, all right, I have to make this happen for my family? Yeah, uh, after hanging up the phone, took my book and took notes, now I set up goals. I was like, this is what I need to do within this month. Till this month, I need to accomplish this. Um, Which I did manage to, I was because I was working casual, but I was working five days a week. I was making a lot, a lot of money compared to how much I was making when I was harmless. And every time I make money, I send them like, half of half of the paycheck and like have the rest of money the money toward like bills and stuff like that and then where were you living at that time at that time i was living i was staying at youth 110 okay and so you yeah. were allowed to just stay there ongoing i was staying there ongoing because they had different services that help young people who are going through homelessness so how they help them by like they only help you when you're getting centering as well because so, I wasn't getting Centrelink, so it would be harder for them to actually support me. So they tried to do their best to actually help me out to get, start getting Centrelink. Um, and when I started getting Centrelink, that was when things were progressing. So you, then, you were making more money and you were sending half of it back to your family. How did you start to feel at that time? Did you start to feel like you were making progress and you were going to get somewhere? Yeah, I felt, I felt like... I needed something because when you're responsible for something, you're afraid to see that thing failed. So 
because I was responsible of my family, I got rid of all the other negative thought that I had in my mind and focused more onto my family and myself because my mom have like young kids and and I had to pay school for them. They weren't go they were not going to school because because when I was homeless that kinda negatively impact them, you know what I'm saying? Say uh they were affected in a way that my siblings weren't going to school. So I had to get up and do what I can to get them on going because I was, and then after year 12, that was when, um, I mean, during year 12, my mates became homeless. One of my friends who I was staying at in the backyard, it was homeless as well. And I have to help him out as soon as I could to like, trying to get him to the place where I was staying, which we did manage to do. And when he was homeless, the school knew about it. And then, because the school knew about it, and he, they knew, they, he told them that I was harmless as well. I was going through the same situation. So that was how the school found out about me. Yeah. About me being harmless. Yeah. And by that stage, you'd already been homeless for like- For a long a, time. A year or longer. Yeah. At that stage, I was about to graduate from high school. So there was only like a month, a month or like three weeks to, we graduate from year 12. Mm. Yeah, so we graduated and the school was just like, you're like, the school helped us out by being a referee for like house and stuff like that. Um, Yeah, and and it was, was, was a good journey. It was, was, a, was a tough one, it was really tough because my family back at home, they, they would call all the time just to check up on me. And that was where I was like, yeah, there's, there's, there's love, you know, that's, that's the power of a family. So they were being supportive? Yeah, like emotionally, yeah. yeah. And did you feel that you could start to, after you had that conversation with them, that you could tell them whatever you were feeling? Yeah. Yeah, but one of the things with the mental health, with the health, um, the problem that men go through is the fact that when you're going through depression and anxiety and all those things, you forgot that you have people around you. You forgot that you even have close friends that you can go to and they can support you. You, I forgot about that. I forgot that I had, I had people, cause I, I just wanted to keep it all to myself. And I was, I was dying inside cause that too. I even forgot about my family until when I was like at the very last minute. I was like, yeah, let me just try. That was where how I came up. I came up, you know. And what would you say the thing was that was making you keep it inside? Was it that pride? You're not wanting anyone to see any weakness in you? Was it that or? Yeah, that was one of the things I didn't want. You didn't want to burden people with your issues? Yeah, I, well, I didn't, I really didn't want to bother anybody. Cause I just thought it was my problems and I had to deal with my own problems. What did you learn when you shared that? Well, I learned, what I learned was it's always important to like, express yourself speak out for yourself if something is wrong with you you need to share you need to share share with other people oh i'll call my mom and cry to her because she's the only one that can listen to me you know what i'm saying or even like few of my friends as well sometimes i talk to them and be like yo i'm going through this but it's not easy it's not it's not the easiest thing because sometimes you have friends who don't take you serious 
Yeah, and you got to be vulnerable then. Yeah. You got to open yourself up to judgment then. Yeah. Mm. So it's like you have to deal with your own self because I remember after this is after the whole harmlessness situation happened. Things were not going so well in my life. Mom was arrested quite sometimes because of like an incident that happened back at home. And then they were calling me, telling me that your mom got arrested, your mom got arrested. I was like, well, what do I do? And my mom was like in debt with the government as well. So all that kind of fell on me, you know, like I had to do what I had to do. And um, I was working for different jobs. So what did you have to do, send more money back there? Yeah, I needed to, I had to, cause mom was arrested. So you, know, you had to pay off someone to uh, help with that situation? I, I had to pay off for um, le- the lawyer. Le- legal, yeah. And also I had to pay off the fee as well. The fine that she got? Yes. Yeah. I had to, because... Um, what, what was the fine? Um, She did borrow some money for business through the government. And she didn't... She couldn't pay it back. Yeah, so the, uh, the business clutched, so crashed, and then she couldn't pay the money back. So how much yeah, money did you have was, to pay? It was five thousand dollars. That was American dollars. In Australia is like like eight thousand yeah. or something like and that. And that's like a lot of money for money. you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the time myself, I wasn't even stable. So. But I did manage to pay it off because I was like, man, that's my mom. My dad. So were you working four jobs? Like, you said I was working, man, four jobs, bro. Twenty four hours. Where were you working? Four hours. I worked. I worked at Brunelli's, I worked at Krispy Kreme, I worked at one of the nightclubs down there. I was just like going from places to places. I was doing like a delivery, food delivery, and it was crazy. Man. How many hours were you working? Well, I was working like, <laughs> I was having like two to three hours break within the whole day. So when I have that two to three hours break, I'll go home, have shower, have a nap, and then Take my stuff, go to work. How long did you do that for? I did it for three months. What happened at the end? You exploded? Like, man, at the end, I had to quit. I had to quit the jobs because they were getting too much. The only reason why I was doing it is because I wanted to support my family. You got and that I money know. together and you paid it off. I did. I did got the money together. So you saved. You saved your mom, really. Yeah. Yeah. Well, basically, yeah. It's like paying back, man. You know what I'm saying? Because she was there for me, you know, she gave birth to me and stuff like that. So it was like, I was paying back. <laughs> How did it make you feel to be able to do that? Well, if uh, I was, I was a bit proud in myself. And, I mean, my mom was really proud to start off with, which was really, really, really good. It's like, in so many years, uh, having heard so many people saying, oh, they're grateful for what I've done, but... My mom was like, yo, I'm so proud of you. And there's this saying, this, that, it's like, my dad and mom always say to me, it's like, my, your heart keep growing the way the ocean, the ocean is and the way the ocean grows. What they meant by that is like, since when, when I was young, I always had the heart of giving. That was one of the, thing, the things um, that they taught us at home and like, Helping them out, being honest to them is like it's like the biggest thing, and it just it just want like my heart to like keep keep growing. Just 
just keep going and keep doing good for people because the good that you do um you might not see the result but there's always a result at the end of the day to other people you know and so then how did you go from where you were staying then uh, to the next place that you lived and then you went on to university yeah um after high school i ended up into university <laughs> and I was so you got good enough grades to go and do what yeah. you wanted to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I enter, I, I enter into health sciences at uni, uni SA. And, and when you were, I know you spent all that money you made on paying off your mum's fine, but did you have enough money to move out and go and get a rental? I wasn't living by myself at that time, but what happened was because my other friend was harmless, he was staying where I was staying. I was like, well, if we can live together. Therefore, this can help you out, pay bills, and will help me out as well, so we can be able to save together. It's like, yeah, why not? Cool, cool, cool. So that was when we started living together. But at that time, I still consider myself as I was harmless. Maybe it was not physically, but it was emotionally. Because you'd gone through so much. Yeah, I was going through so much. Family stuff kicked in. Because when you're... You migrate to a different place. You come here with nothing. Like you come here with zero dollars. You might have experience of doing things, but you're not just gonna get a job just like that. And also the other thing is like, when you come with zero dollar, you don't have anything. It's just you here. What are you bringing to people apart from your skills and and, and your body? You know. So it's just it was just me, and like the fact that I was working, making money, uh, for my family and stuff like that. At the same time, I was going through a lot. I was I was staying in the room without going outside doing anything. I would eat from the room because because uh, of that the whole the whole depression, you know. I didn't want to see anyone. <laughs> I wasn't doing daily activities. I wasn't doing anything. It was just me at home, just at home, like blank like that. And that was when I was waiting for my university, for like the result. Were you still working at that time? I wasn't working. I had to take like time off work. Okay, uh, so this was after you like burnt uh, out paying off all that. Yes. For your mum and then it was just too overwhelmed and you just yeah. didn't want to do anything. I didn't want to do anything. I didn't want to see anybody. Like the guy that I used to live, I was living with, he's come, he came to my, when he comes to my door knocking like, Chance, what's up, you okay, bro? They're like, yeah, I'm fine, man. Sometimes I even get like frustrated over just someone asking if I'm okay, which wasn't normal, you know. And you still felt at that time that you couldn't really talk to anyone about it or no. you, you weren't telling your family about those feelings then? I couldn't tell anyone. Because then at that point they were seeing you as the provider and stuff, so you didn't want them to make you think, you didn't want to make them think that you weren't okay? No, I couldn't even talk to my family either. Oh, or like, I couldn't tell them anything. Nobody could tell anything. It was just me. In the room, it was me in a dark place, man. Like, how long were you like that for? I was in there for like three weeks, man. It was it was one of those weirdest moments ever. And what got you out of there? Was when I go when I was when I started uni. Well, um, got a result back and then start going to uni. I say doing health sciences, and that was when I like I found out about mentoring. And like during the time when I was harmless and whatnot, didn't know much about mentorship or mentoring and all that, and won all the power of mentoring. And you didn't know it, but 
at that time going through all those experiences, you were becoming a leader. Yeah, but through all the things that you'd learned, but you wouldn't have realized that at the time. No, it was pretty. It was pretty hard because I was doing things that I think leaders meant to do, but I didn't know. And when I was when I went to uni, and um, they were talking about mentorship, I was like, okay, what is mentorship? That sounds good, you know. So who did you start mentoring? See, I started uh, mentoring for M and M. M it stands for Australian mentoring. Australian Indigenous Mentoring Experiences. So they work with Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islands students throughout high school. Um, and so, so what, what were you doing for them? How did that go? Well, so it's like I had that experience of being on the street. And a lot of young people today, they, they don't focus. They don't focus with school or their studies because they just think like, yo, if I go do this, this is, this is okay for me because it's gonna value me. They take it for granted. They take of. stuff for granted, yeah, mm. sort of things, that's facts, because of the resources they have. <laughs> and like, I just all like, yo, I was harmless. I don't want anyone to end up where I was. Because I knew for sure, those kids, like those kids almost saved for that time when I was harmless. I could have dropped out of school straight up the week after when I became homeless. And just go do whatever I want to do outside school become whatever I want to become. But I was like, nah, I think education, like imagination is important. And because when you have that vision, that's when you can actually see the values that you have in the world. And I just thought like, if I could be able to show these kids too, like that if they, they value what they have, they can be able to achieve anything throughout education, then they could do it too. If I did it, they can too. Trying to teach other people to keep going. Yeah. So basically, the mindset of never giving up. I was mentoring this kid through our school school work, and and just like giving them advice, really. And they listened to you because they knew your story. Yeah, yeah. I shared a bit of my story with them, so telling them, "Look where I come from, man. Have have nothing, bro. Like I actually don't have anything." And if I was you, I would use every single thing that I have. And a lot of those kids, they love hearing what I'm te- what I'm saying to them, and they love doing what I'm saying to them. You know, so that's the power that you have by having gone through what you've gone through. Yeah, that you was, inspire people. Yeah, that's the power that I had because I use that as well with people on the street too. I tell you, if I was able to get off the street, so you can. So you have those conversations with people, you see someone on the street, you go up to them and you'll start talking to them? Yeah, not just, yeah, not just on the street because a lot of people think like harmless is the only people that you see on the street. But it's not that, it's just, it means you don't have a, a steady home. Yeah, because I see it, it's like homelessness is not about not, it's not about not having a place to stay, but it's not about not having all these materialistic things. But if you have one thing, which is community, then you can make homelessness disappear because community is what makes things better. When you have community, they're there to support you in a way to show you the way when you're wrong. Like belonging. Yeah. And that's the whole point of having community. That's why I, I, I show to people. There's a lot of people who are homeless out there, but they're not showing it to the world. They're not, they're not on the street. 
It could be a school kid who is harmless and you wouldn't tell because they never told you. Just the way I was harmless in school for how many years and nobody noticed until at the very end when someone had to point it out. So how do you feel about wanting to help people like that now? It's not so much about helping people, but supporting people in a sense of like showing them what they're capable of. There's a lot of people don't know what they're capable of. Making them sort of believe and realize their potential. Yeah. Not doing stuff for them, but showing them they can do it. Facts. That's the way. That's that's the spirit, man. Because cause when I was on that street, man, and nobody walked to me and said, chances are how's here, come stay here. <laughs> no, nobody did that for me. I had to find out myself. And and I, today we have like higher numbers of harmless people who are older because they were harmless when they were young. They were they were like they were slave for their own emotions and stuff like that, you know. So they couldn't get out of it, so they keep growing into it. And when they get to like certain age, they even end up dying into harmlessness. Cause um, I don't know another way. No, cause yeah. I remember I lost two of my friends here in Australia because of because of like mental health, and a lot of young people really they need support with that. The world doesn't really focus on young people. They just try to focus on the older ones and they think that like all the older ones are going through this and that. That's what you see, you see so much on social media about the young ones. Because they, they talk about it then. Yeah. Because mm. I remember one of my friends is from Congo. This guy was driving his car. He, 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 he purposely hit into a tree. And... This young guy, he had dreams. He had dreams that he wanted to do. He was the only one. He, his family, live in Tanzania. He wanted to do a lot of things, but because he was depressed and stressed, and I tried to find a way to help him out. We lost contact for quite some time, and then a few months later, I heard that he passed away. Yeah, same thing happened to a friend of mine. Sorry to hear, man. Um, and it was hard. It was pretty tough, man. And... And then I just realized that the society need to focus on youth. They have to, they have to like, they have to start off a platform for the youth to encourage these young people because they're the leaders. They, they're the leaders of tomorrow. The future. Yeah, they're the future. That's basically like they need to encourage these young people because a lot of them are dying. They're dying before their time. A lot of them are serving, are they serving a justice time in jail? And and I don't think that's supposed to happen to to young people who are smart or they can be trained to become smarter and do do like all these good things for the community, you know. Getting cut off before they have the chance. Yeah. And so how much mentoring did you do? Or are well, you still doing it now? Yeah. I've been a mentor for four years. A lot of different kids in that time? Yeah. yeah, yeah, I do mentor a lot of different kids and there's like some of them that you start mentoring them from like year eight and they graduate and throughout after school, they'll see you in, in public, they'll say, hey, hey, Chance, you remember me? Like, yeah, man, from that's school. A, that's a good feeling. Like, yeah, it's a good feeling. It's a good feeling. Um, Did you see quite a few of them really benefit from your mentoring and go places after that? Yeah, because I think... Like when you have a mentor over there, someone that can tell you what you're doing is wrong because mentors are not your saviors. 
they're just there to like give you advice. To guide, yeah. To guide you, yeah, basically. Yeah. yeah, um, and that's what I was doing. But to be honest, if I see something wrong with you, I'll tell you, bro, that's wrong. But if you'd had if you'd had a mentor like that, yeah, what would that have done for you? Do you I, I don't know because I didn't have a mentor like the way uh, I became a mentor was throughout these kids my skills I developed developed the skills through them so through mentoring that was when that was how I became a mentor if that makes sense because I didn't know anything about mentoring like and so did that affect what you wanted to do for your future after you had that mentoring experience yeah so what did it what did that make you want to become I want to become somebody that people can look up to in the sense of like the positive things that I do. You want to bring that as much positivity to the world as you can. Yeah. Because I remember going to one of the schools and this one kid was like, the only reason why as long as chance is still mentor here, I'm going to still turning up at school. Mm. That was that was the biggest highlight ever. That, that, that really inspired me. You know what I'm saying? You can't make more of a difference than that no you can't because it's like it's like you heard it from somebody no you're calling yourself like you know what i'm saying but what i looked it's like i i was volunteering my time i was giving so much of my time leave my house when i don't have a call catch like if it's two buses to get to a school to just a mentor a kid or like five kids to a lot of people that's a lot of work right because you're paying for your own transport to go to mentor somebody and nobody can do it. Like, it's hard for people to actually do it like that. Yeah. So why why did you do it? I did it because I, I thought, I believe in those kids, you know. Uh, something that somebody never had for me. Nobody really ever believed in me that I could do something. And you thought, if I don't make this effort and I don't go and do it, then who else is going? Who else is going to do it? Or who else is going to give those kids hope? You know what I'm saying? See, I had to be then present. Because one of the things that, like and mentoring hard was turning up consistently you know you always have to turn up because the first time these kids meet you the second time they meet you you're building this strong relationship with them and then if you if you disappear then you're breaking it you're breaking that trust yeah yeah and so where are you at now with uni and stuff um i'm still starting at uni uh still continuing coming from my health sciences to uh bachelor of social work and psychology and that's because you want to do this on a bigger scale the mentoring yeah. type stuff yeah because um one of the things was like i came from like i didn't have anything bro i came from being just a mentor to being a manager at am so it's that they gave me like a, a full-time position where i was like i was like a manager program manager so and who are you working for uh australian indigenous mentoring experiences that those are the people that I was mentoring for. I was volunteering mm. for them. So I started working for them for quite some time. So they started paying you? Yeah. Yeah, when Just, you're a manager? Yes. Yeah. So I was, was travel a couple places with them and stuff like that. It was it was a lovely experience. Travel around Australia? Yeah, yeah. It was a lovely experience. And But after that, I was when I was like, yeah, I really need to do something. We're adding to it. So I went to, to study social work and psychology so I can understand more of how people are and how their behaviors the science behind it uh, yes so i needed to understand more um that was that was the reasons why i went into psychology and social work so what are you aiming for when i met graham uh, he's a really good mentor he he did mentor me for like 
for like a month, I believe. And a few things that I picked up from him was the fact that when you're aware of yourself, you become something greater like ever before. And and he told me something about 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 self-awareness. I was doing all these things that I thought was right, which, which there were, some of them were right, but I was like forgetting something which was like me. I was giving people a lot of my time and then it's like if you become, you become self-aware of what you do and who you are, you can become anything that you want to become, you know? So I started doing things to, for myself and all that and that was when I was like, yep, yeah, I have a clothing, brand, a clothing line if I can come up with a platform that would be able to uh, support people and work with people and do like shows, this could be able to provide job security for people on the street. And so what's your concept there? Okay, my concept is, it's basically like I'm trying to end harmlessness. Uh, I, I'm trying to end harmlessness in the sense that I want to get people engaged, like yeah, a lot of young people, because a lot of young people have dreams, um, but a lot of them end up dying within their dreams or their visions. And I don't want that, you know. I lost two friends, like you lost a friend of yours as well. You can, you can relate, you know what I'm saying? You, do you know how much of a dream they had to impact the world positively? Yeah, okay, so you don't want people to miss out on being what they could have been? No, I don't want that. So I want my clothing line to to be like with that project that I'm working toward of ending harmlessness to be like a project that will allow people to be themselves and actually show their skills to the world. And like how do you see that working? The way I see it is like I need I need people, you know. Like is this African proverb that says if you wanna go uh faster go by yourself, but if you wanna go far you have to go together. Meaning you have to go together with a group of people, you know. I'm collecting people with with the same mindset as mine, so we can like start this thing and like bring people together, people of different colors, different cultures, and stuff like that. That just bring that togetherness. And so, how are you going to give homeless people work that has to do with the clothing line that you're talking about? Well, well, well I'm planning to do like um, magazine. Uh, so I'm gonna do magazine and also like modeling as well, and on top of that, like shows, shows that allows people to come in, share stories. It could be poetry, it could be um, singing, it could be anything that they want to do. Ex expression. Yeah, basically anything. Like if you believe you can do anything, come on board. We will work together with homeless people. Yes, yeah. homeless people, youth. It's not really, it's not going to be really working for me. It's like them working for themselves. Because who am I to, to have someone working for me? I'm not, I'm nothing, you know what I'm saying? It's, a, it's about me showing them what they can do. Like, just like, uh, like support them in what they want to achieve and show them what their values are so they can be able to do things for their own. Like, and if they want to like stick around, do things together, we can work together instead of them working for me. And so that's just, and that's just like your side project while you're still at Union stuff. Yes. And um, the clothing brand, it's called The Unpredictable and it's called Connected to Broken Children. 
broken child. Uh, what do I mean by that is like because I came from I get go, but I came from from the street. You know, it's about it's about giving power to those who are powerless. What was the one thing that couldn't be taken from you? You know, your your family was taken from you. Your freedom was just about everything. But what was the thing that you felt like you had control over? The inner person that live inside me, I think. Is, um, I'm a giver, I'm a go-giver. That's how I see myself. And I'm kind. It meaning like in the sense that um, I'm a peacemaker. I like where I go or where I work to be peaceful. No arguments, no discrimination or anything. One of the things that I want to like, I want to have along the side is wisdom, you know. Because when I have wisdom, meaning I can be able to do anything that I, that I feel like a right. So the world can't take that peace, that inner peace? No, nah, I don't think so. I don't think so, kids. Yeah, someone have told me that before, like, sometimes you just need to separate yourself from people and stop thinking about other people and think about yourself. And I just thought, nah, I can't do it. I felt like, I felt like if I take people, if I, if I like stay away from like people or like start thinking about myself, care for myself, meaning I have to like separate my, se my family as well, like put them on the side where I'm working on myself and it's one of the hardest things. That's where the unhappiness comes from. Yeah. From focusing on yourself. Yes. It's, it's one of the hardest things because you become, you become selfish because that's how the whole thing starts, you know? That's why that's how you have like people who have thousands of thousands or millions of billions of dollars and there's people who are starving. Who are starving to death, you know? And I just don't think that makes sense. And I don't want to be one of those people. Yeah. Yeah. The opposite of selfish. Yes. So are you happy now? Do you think you're a happy guy? I I think I'm happy where I'm at, but I can be more happier. <laughs> yeah. how, do you, how do you feel now when you reflect back like you have today or look back on just how much you've been through and where you've come from and just I mean just just the ordeal of coming from the Congo to getting here let alone then being homeless after that it's just it's so much it's just an incredible story yeah when you re look back on that and realize that that was you that went through all of that and you're still here how do you how do you feel about yourself or what's the what's the overwhelming sort of sense that you get? Well, I feel like uh, the world really, really still needs me here. If that makes sense. Yeah, man, I I'm fully <laughs> believe the world needs you, man. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah because <laughs> no with, doubt. Yeah, without the world, man, it's like the world. Who make up the world if it's not me and you? You know, and the people who live here. See, everything that happens here, we're responsible for them. And that's very different to when you were standing in the middle of that road. Yeah, it was. It's totally different, man. Yeah. yeah. Wasn't that long ago. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't. I feel like there's just so much that I'm expecting on myself, of myself, like to do, to do for myself, to do for my family, to do for the community and for the people as well. There's just, there's just a lot. And the only way that I can get that done is, is through, through me overcoming my the obstacles that comes on my way and building that resilience. 
you welcome that challenge now though i do i do because i'm not i'm not really afraid of failure because if it's failure I di- i've been through failure and it's always gonna come you know uh it's just like a way of how i can overcome overcome it you must feel it's almost unstoppable now you know just having you, you know in one way i imagine that you fully understand how real and raw and difficult and dangerous life can be more than most but at the same time you've been through so much that many people just couldn't handle and you're still here it's going to take a lot to stop you now isn't it yeah that's what i think that's that's what i think myself it's like it's not going to be as easy to be stopped i feel like i'm going to be unstoppable of like things that i'm going to be doing you know, you're never going to forget all the pain that you went through to be where you are now well yeah uh that's like it's just been part of life experience and it's it's going to be part of my journey as well and cuz i just feel like all the pain that i went through i went through them by purpose those reasons behind all those pains all pain all those pain that i went through that's why i'm where i'm at today you know what i'm saying if i didn't go through the pain that i went through i don't think I will be able to uh mentor the kids that I mentor today cuz well how would I mentor them what would I give them what do I have there to offer you know I don't have anything cuz I have experienced what I experienced it's make it easier for me to be connected with people yeah are you the man you want to be am I the man that I want to be I'm not yet but I'm working toward that <laughs> I think you're the man, bro. Ah, uh, thank you. <laughs> Definitely. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I'm working toward that. If you got something out of this episode, please leave a comment and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. It really helps us grow the show so we can keep bringing you the content that matters. Also, guys, it's really important that we're part of the conversation about our health and well-being, and it's easy to do. Just Google Freemasons Foundation Center for Men's Health and click on the Men's Health Register to sign up and help out with much-needed surveys and studies that make us all better off. If you want to stay up to date with what we're doing and get involved, get onto the Young Blood Podcast Community Facebook group and follow Young Blood Podcast on Instagram. And if you're keen to get in touch with me, email Young Blood Podcast or one word at hotmail.com. This podcast was produced by the talented Rory Noak at Podbooth. You can check them out at podbooth.com.au. This is Young Blood. Thanks for joining us. Catch you next time.